I think one of our biggest surprises was in the area of um, equity competence. Mm-hmm. We, in our pre and post survey, we found that the assistant principals felt um, much more competent in their abilities to be equitable and to ultimately have equity competence within their capacities day to day. And it was one of our strongest findings, which was not expected. I think in many of our districts, we did not plan strategically to have a focus on equity in within our professional development sessions. And so that's what came out as a surprise for many of us, including my district. This is High Tech High Unboxed. I'm Alec Patton, and I'm in the studio with my boss, president of High Tech High GSE, Ben Daly. And Ben's here because he actually pitched the episode that you're about to hear. So Ben, tell us about this. Where'd this come from? So I'm involved in this project where we're trying to strengthen the connection between higher ed and K-12 schools. And one of our ideas was to look at the capstone the capstone papers that graduate students are writing. Um, and so I went on this, I call it my bender. I was like, I skimmed a hundred dissertations that were published in the last year that seemed to have any connection to trying to improve schools in a systematic way. And, and it was pretty sobering, actually. I, was, I kind of went through these like stages of Kubler-Ross, where I was like, I can't believe this is what's out here. It's like so disturbing. It's like, you know, just like kind of papers about improving things, but no one's actually improving anything. They're just like writing about the idea of improving things. And then I found this dissertation written by four students who were working together to try to improve the, the preparation of assistant principals in their schools. And it was happening in four different school districts. And they had engaged senior leadership from their districts in this project, which was clear from the, from the dissertation. And I just thought, this is exactly what we need more of. What they were trying to do and what their program was guiding them to try to do just struck me as like, yes, we have found it. Like if, if every graduate student who was doing an EDD in ed leadership did something like this, that, or even five a year, that would be like really great. So like, how can we get more of this happening? So that's what drew me to it. And where was this extraordinary school? <laughs> so Western Carolina University. Um, and I was not um, that surprised when I saw that because I remembered that Robert Crow, who was a colleague of mine from doing this work around trying to improve this connection, is a faculty member at Western Carolina. So to be honest, I'd never heard of Western Carolina except that I knew this guy, Robert Crow, worked there. And so in that sense, was not surprised to see that his students had produced this work. Awesome. All right, let's roll it. My name is Katie Elliott, and I'm a principal in Caldwell County Schools at Hudson Middle School, which is a sixth through eighth grade school with about 620 students. I have been in education since 2003. My first degree is not in education. I have a business degree from Auburn University. I have family members that were in education, but always told myself I was not going to be an educator. Um, I was working in the business industry in Greenville, South Carolina, and it was not a very social environment. And I kept getting a coworker's wife telling me, you need to teach, you need to teach. So I eventually went lateral entry and started teaching. And after a few stressful first weeks, I really fell in love with it, and I have been doing it ever since. I am Andrea Russell. I am an assistant principal in a high school in Stanley County Schools. I was doing uh, health care, actually, working um, on a nursing degree and then a radiology certi- certification um before my father-in-law who had a very long career in education said to me you should consider education and i thought he was crazy he really is but that's beside the point um and so i pursued education um when i went back to school to finish my undergrad and taught for seven years and then went into school administration 
Hello, everybody. My name is Robert Crow, and I'm an associate professor of ed research at Western Carolina University. Um, I got into this field about 20 years ago. I remember my first course I taught was in SP02, so it's been almost 20 years. Um, the moment that I knew education was for me was I was sitting in my master's class at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, and learning about ed psych. And I just thought those theories were amazing. And after I got into PhD school, I started putting those theories to practice and I never turned back. And and what's SPO2? That was spring O2. That was my very question too. I said, what is this? <laughs> they said, it's spring O2, your first course. <laughs> uh, so I'm ready to go into SP22 soon. So that's kind of terrifying. Um, my name is Jared Crave. I'm a, a teacher educator with Western Governors University and um Formerly, during our project, I was a literacy specialist with Asheville City Schools. And the epiphany moment when I realized that I was born to be an educator was when I was in fourth grade. And I had not only my first male teacher in my career, but I also had um, my first black male teacher. And you know, those were influential characteristics in and of themselves, but it was how he recognized and supported each one of us individually according to what we needed and what would help us to be successful in his classroom. And I just, it was the first time that anyone had really focused on me as a person and thought about how I learned best. And I said, I want to do that. You know, that's something that I think makes a difference and made a difference in me. Hello, my name is Mike Swan, superintendent of Burke County Public Schools. Burke County is located in the foothills of Western North Carolina, a beautiful place. Moved here in 1998 and began my educational journey as a classroom teacher teaching fifth grade math and science. Um, my memory growing up high school, middle school, elementary school, just never really enjoyed going to school at all. Uh, it's kind of funny to be an educator now as an adult, but just wanted to stay at home, work in the steel mills um, like my father did. Ended up growing up after high school, getting a job on the Ohio River as a deckhand. And probably my third year after doing that hard work, I decided you know, I always enjoyed teaching kids how to water ski, teaching kids how to shoot uh, rifles, bow and arrows, things like that. And that's kind of was my trajectory into education at West Virginia University. So um, this will be my 24th year of serving students in Burke County. So a big point of the research that you did is that no one gives much thought to assistant principals. And yet you all did. I'm wondering how did that happen? And I think another way of asking this question is, how did the band get together? <laughs> Within the group, it was a diverse group. So you had students from higher education focusing in on that. We had a preacher in the area. We had some healthcare folks. So it wasn't just educators. Um, we were very like-minded in our public education focus, K-12 focus, and also most of us, except for Jared, had been in that assistant principal role, or Andrea was. So it's a frustration that as you're getting those jobs and changing jobs, not feeling prepared. Um, so I think that brought us together, definitely. And when you say the group, about it being a diverse group, what's the group in this context? We were cohort five, the revolutionaries. So there were 20 of us to start, correct me if I'm wrong, um, from all over. Um, there were people from out of state, different walks of life, um, not just traditional educators. Um, so it was a very neat group to bounce ideas off and to work with. Yeah. The revolutionaries? And, uh, yep. Tell me more about that. <laughs> well, that, that's a name that Robert kind of gave us, the revolutionaries, and we, we jumped all over it. We liked it. Just kind of breaking down barriers was kind of what we like to think uh, in public ed. Uh, we, we were the group that would try to you know, we'd stay late after class, um, have cocktails with one another and 
um, just kind of really explore what we wanted to do within this program. And it, I think it all started on the, really that first weekend that we got to know each other. Uh, Roberts and his group, they do a speed dating, kind of a speed dating session where you sit down next to somebody and you begin throwing spitballing ideas. And then within three minutes, you're changing chairs. So that's kind of how we narrowed it down to that, what we saw as a problem of practice that we wanted to start focusing on. And it, it took a lot of massaging throughout the process, starting as, as they taught us, start, put it in at the top of the funnel. Uh, and by the time it gets to the bottom, that's your final project. And it mm-hmm. took a lot of swirls around the top of the project or the final. Can I ask when you did, Oh, actually first Robert. So they were the like, do you give everybody a cool name or is it some years it's the conservatives, no. some years it's the kind of middle of the road, don't rock the, the losers. <laughs> no. Um, actually, I don't know. I don't think I did give it up to them, but they have pencils. I still use pencils that say revolutionary mm-hmm. cohort five. Um, but the, that's what we want, Alec. The main reason we go through all this application, you know, hoops is we want students that can dismantle inequitable structures that we see in our schools and like Katie, Andrea, Mike and Jared all have the capacity to do that kind of thing. And like, that's revolutionary work because sometimes they're, you know, when they get their doctorate degree, they're being put out into school systems that may or may not be supportive of their work. So they're revolutionaries. That's for sure. In North Carolina. And I'm curious were all of you at the time was were all of you just sitting down and be like in that speed dating just immediately like assistant principals or no. was one of you I don't know yeah how did that how did you how did you get to that we got to we got to assistant principal work long into the process so we first mm-hmm. we went through several um, I guess iterations of what's the problem? So we used improvement science, obviously. And there were several instances where we worked through, I guess, uh, what we called five whys. I don't know why five is the magic number, but mm-hmm. um, we worked through the five whys. And um, Dr. Crow, on multiple instances, led us through, okay, what is a problem of practice that you're interested in? I remember lots of post-it notes um, that we threw up on the whiteboard and then he put them all together. And then we ended up in groups because of the post-it notes that we wrote about. Mm -hmm. Um, And then some of our discussion was around principles and how principals didn't really feel like they knew what they were doing when they got to the principalship. And so as a product of the, of the fishbowl that we did and the five whys, like, but now that process was not just a one conversation process. That was a process of, I guess, the whole walking through these improvement science tools to get through like our fishbone our, our fishbone is that principals aren't prepared to lead. But the problem that we tackled as a result of that fishbone was that assistant principals aren't prepared for that role. And so we worked through the five whys. Why is that a problem? After we identified problems that we had in common that we saw in the multiple contexts that we were in, and then kind of came down. So it was a process using improvement science tools that led us to assistant principals. But I would say that that was maybe, I don't know if it took a full year to get there, but I knew, I know that um, we didn't get there uh, quickly. Within a weekend. That's not a, yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. it's not a fair timeline, but it would have taken like at least through maybe six, eight, maybe months or so. I'm not sure. So I want, I want to go back just real quick. Cause I want to, I, I want to go into this six or eight months or whatever, what, what time it is, but just to start. So I had speed dating and then, but you didn't become a group based on the speed dating. Am I right that you became a group of four because you got grouped together because of the post-it note with the problems that you wrote on post-it notes? Yeah. 
it gave us the opportunity to kind of get to know one another. Like that we, I remember, remember us going out to lunch after that first meeting and we all, uh, we naturally, yeah, yeah, we we naturally kind of came together. Yeah. So wait, so you all went speed dating together. Yes. And then the four of you went out to lunch. Well, there were probably six or eight of us in a small group. 20. We just don't talk about the other ones anymore. (laughs) (laughs) As educators, I think we're great at reading rooms. So when you sit down and you start to get to know each other, it's fairly easy to tell, for me at least, based on personalities, who I am going to be able to work with well. And I think we're, we're all in that same boat. So we definitely gravitated toward each other quickly, well before we figured out that problem of practice. And it was helpful that we were all in public education. So there were several members in our cohort that were in higher education or a different setting altogether, completely not a part of public education. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the four of us were in some kind of leadership capacity in public education our identifying problems of practice and then wanting to work on those problems of practice. I I, I mean, it it almost was really organic, but then we worked together in those class, in the class assignments and the class requirements of working, of learning how to use the tools to identify the problem, the root causes of the problem. So we just, we, we ended up just, sticking together and working through it and it and it just kind of magically happened i guess so i'm looking at your fishbone right now and and as you say it's principals are not adequately prepared to lead is the that starting point um so was that was that where you began yes and and i i was alec i was an assistant principal for eight years and we didn't have any systems in place in Burke County. And it was just a novel approach anywhere. And that's, so as I transitioned into the principalship that, that I was able to kind of really jump in with a lot of the, the experience that I went through during that process of not knowing what I didn't know uh, and what I didn't know I needed to be a successful principal. So it took a lot of struggles personally and professionally to make, make it to where I am now. So your your own life was part of your your research basis. One hundred percent, yeah. And I would say that's true for all of us. And so I'm really curious about your initial responses to the improvement science stuff. Like when you were like when Robert said, Right, we're all doing a fishbone. Like how did that feel the when you were first dipping your toes into this? So a lot of that improvement stuff happened first in class. So Dr. Crow took us through using that as a group, as students, as doctoral candidates, as students in the classroom where he brought out beautiful different colored strips of paper and post-it notes and markers and led us through how to use everybody's Snickers, but how to use or how to implement these fishbone diagrams and driver diagrams and those things. And we did those separate really from the action research so that we had opportunity to learn how to utilize it so that when we did get into the disquisition phase where we were actually implementing the um, process in our districts that we were confident in the process and using that with our people. The first time we used it, it was just like, okay, Dr. Crow wants pretty things and graphs and in color, and how can we give that to him? Well, also, they didn't just work on improvement science because a large lens of the program is a social justice lens. So at the same time we were working on improvement science tools, they were breaking down our thinking about ourselves and about our situations and broadening our perspectives in so many different ways. And that's one of the strengths of this program. One of the things that attracted it for me, uh, knowing that the quality of professors were there to help do that. So there was a parallel to the improvement science piece, and that was the equity and social justice piece, um, which was pretty powerful for many, many of us in the room. Um, So that occurred at the same time. 
So at, at times they were trying to frustrate us and we'd have to change gears and change gears. So it was that deep analysis thinking on our feet, but also that upset, that um, revolution in our own thinking that was very, very powerful for the improvement science work. I think it made us take it more seriously. What was toughest in those early days? I mean, I think toughest. ultimately coming, um, narrowing down to that problem of practice. Um, you know, we knew that we we wanted to focus on leadership, but you know, it, it took several iterations and the the five whys to really get us to uh, the fact that if we want successful schools you know, we really have to focus in on the assistant principals because they're eventually going to transition into that principal role, most likely, you know, that that's the goal. And so we would have the biggest impact by focusing on that group of leaders. I mean, it sounds like this kind of crash course in improvement science combined with deeply interrogating your own beliefs and attitudes about social justice. I remember having that conversation with Dr. Weiler as far as, you know, we spent a lot of time in class saying, she said, you guys can do this. But we knew politically in a lot of our school districts, it's difficult to just come in and and break the walls down. It's got to be at a very slow pace in order to get that improvement and and to get that buy-in. Um, so that's I remember vividly that discussion with the social justice and we did the equity audit within our own district and seeing some of the the outliers of things that we really needed to focus on and people saying, hey, wait a minute, we've got to take caution because we are rural. All of us are rural mm-hmm. districts within the state of North Carolina. So that was always kind of a, a very delicate subject. Um, And then that's what really stuck out with me on how to make those small steps in order to make it equitable for everybody. And I'm curious, you may, you may not want to answer this, but uh, you can decide in that when you were doing that combinate, you're like doing the social justice work simultaneously with learning these improvement science structures was there a point for any of you where you were like, man, I might have made a mistake here. This is like a lot to be doing on top of my job. And I don't know about this. <laughs> uh, how many, how many times do yeah. we have that? How many times discussion? do I tell my wife and say, I, I had a new baby at the time my wife did. And I'm thinking, my gosh, is this, was this the right time to do this? Our, our district leadership at the time, I was transitioning from a high school principal job of five years into a director of student services role. So within that same month, I got accepted at Western Carolina, began the classes, and then a month later, I transitioned into the central office, So, plus a newborn. So I was, or maybe a two-year-old, and just thinking the time commitment, how is this all going to play out? But And I told my wife several times, and I think I told this group, man, this is tough. But we, we persevered right. and, and just kept, and I know they had the same struggles, that we've all got children and families and, you know, but but we saw an end game for us, I feel, that we continued. And once we got connected as this foursome, we really held each other accountable and pushed each other. We talked about that during the cocktail mm-hmm. hour as far as sticking together and, and making sure everyone held each other accountable. We didn't rely on somebody else to say, hey, Jared's not doing his part. Can you talk to him? If Jared wasn't doing his part, we would say, hey, let's go get this done. Or, or maybe it was Mike saying, "Hey, I can't meet this weekend. I've got. I'm, I want to go hunting." Well, you're going to have to put that on hold for this year, uh, and that happened a lot. It also was so rewarding because even though it was a struggle and things were difficult in class and there were frustrations, to be able to get outside of the district and outside of the county and have that professional conversation with everyone, even though it was hard, I think for all of us, we didn't hate being there. We never once hated being there. Sometimes it's hard to get going and get started, but it was very rewarding personally, especially, I mean, I missed it once it ended, Mm. even if it was hard and we were diving into deep topics, it was definitely where we felt that absence after it ended. Well, in our own districts, we can be so myopic, you know, and, and so focused on the, the rigors of our own jobs and, you know, outside of our, the research, you know, we can get so focused in on 
you know, what we have to do in a, a daily setting that, you know, coming together and working on a problem of practice that was much larger than our roles was very satisfying. Yeah, and this is one example, Alec, of um, the ability to do a group dissertation. Some institutions won't let their students do that kind of thing. In fact, some of our students don't want to do it either, and they do it individually. So seeing this kind of group, in fact, this is the first four, four-way four group we've ever had. And um, just the, the recognition that, like, you guys have recognized the work that they've done, um, you know, it's just amazing. It's wonderful. It was more powerful because we had four contexts right. to compare. Yeah. I would I would add to that too that going into this for group of four disquisition, I I immediately jumped on board with, oh my gosh, yes, I don't have to do all of this by myself. Please can I work with some other people? Yes. And that turned into, okay, now we are gathering data for four separate districts and we're going to have to follow through with entire um, comparative analysis of data that we've gathered in four separate districts. So while we walked into it thinking, hey, we're a really strong group with some really professional Um, ideas and opinions and skills and abilities that all four of us bring to the table, we then had to implement in four separate districts, gather data in four separate districts and do this huge comparative analysis, which thank you, Katie, data is her thing. Um, it gave us some amazing data and some, you know, offered some, some big ideas from the research that we had, which is much better than what we could have brought from any one context. But we walked in thinking, all right, if we can do this together, it's going to be easier, which we found quickly that we bit off a lot, a lot of responsibility, I think, with the data that we were able to gather. And I want to I want to get into that and those the the sort of experimental design, but first on that crafting the the question. Do you remember was there a eureka moment about oh assistant principals that's the thing? I think that was pushed by Robert. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting, Alec, because that's one of the things that we try to differentiate between a PhD dissertation and an EDD dissertation. PhD dissertations are have research questions. Our um, dissertations of practice have problems of practice that are then explored and solved. So that's a real big question. And so when people ask, where are the research questions, especially people on the committee, we have to do some training on like wh- how different this dissertation is than the basic five-chapter PhD dissertation that most people wrote in different programs. <laughs> so, so you have this... You've 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 narrowed it. To, you've gone through this process. How long was it? That how long did it take before you got this problem of practice identified? We've had a year. We've had six months. Somewhere in between. Anyone want to pin it down? I feel like it was it was at the year mark that we really focus in on assistant principal preparation and started to move forward with that idea. And we had already. Um, coalesced as a, a team by that point as well. And the great thing was that they were breaking it down for us to start writing. We didn't call them chapters, but to get that initial work done. So we did have things that we could use from each of the classes we were also in. So some of them de- directly tied into our disquisition work. But they definitely evolved. Um, I remember Dr. Weiler going back and forth with us a lot on that problem of practice and how we were going to state it, and Dr. Crow as well. Um, And that was in the initial time before chairs were assigned. So that's another thing about the setup of the program. It's fantastic to get you started thinking about that large piece of work in the beginning rather than waiting till classwork is over and then starting it. Right. Was there a time in that first year where you where you were just like, let's get on with it? Like, I get it, but it's insane <laughs> that we're spending a year to decide what to focus on. Oh, yeah. And that, that was hard for us to get. I think in the end, it benefited us greatly 
because again, that thinking had been reworked and broken down a bit and built back up with those improvement science tools. It needed to take that long, but we didn't necessarily realize it. We're educators, we move quickly, we have too much to do. So we wanted to jump right in and they really had to slow us down and tell us to redo and look at the research a little more, investigate this. Um, but that was essential for the outcomes to be there. We also had to take the time to learn all of those strategies we needed as we were going to tackle the the data pieces and you know work within our districts on that because it took a while to set up design teams and other things. So it's not a it's not a fast process. And is there does anyone remember what the wording of your specific problem of practice was at the end of that year? I feel like it was it was similar to you know, what we had as our final outcome that assistant principals are not adequately prepared to transition into the role of principal. But I think, Jared, we started with the principal. I mean, our fishbone, mm. our, our fishbone problem practice was about principals are not adequately prepared for their role. Mm-hmm. And we ended up doing our disquisition or our action research based on the preparation, the intentional preparation of assistant principals because of the work that we did with the improvement science tools, the fishbone and the driver diagram. And when we, when we ended up compiling all of those things, right. it ended up being about how can we prepare assistant principals because what we wanted to originally to talk about was principals were not prepared. And we had some personal experience with that. And, and I'm pretty, I, I know we used Mike in, in that way too, when he was called to be a principal and wasn't, didn't really know or, or didn't really have that skill set then. But then we, I guess we used the five whys then to get to, well, how can we, do some meaningful change in multiple contexts. And we started talking about working with assistant principals specifically. I think we definitely flipped it a little bit. I think we ended with assistant principals transitioning into a principalship role or often not adequately prepared to lead and struggle in the beginning years of their new leadership role. But definitely it did still focus on the principal. Mm. So year one, was come up with a topic classes and i mean a lot more obviously (laughs) like so what happened in year two year two was the research we did a lot of research and then and then we in our essentially our lit review and our proposal you know putting the proposal together takes a lot of time and learning to do that and there was a little bit of initial research on that but we had to get that approved by the committee and then move forward into the project So there was a lot of refining on our writing. So as the class load lessened, we definitely picked up on the writing piece. And I appreciate how the classes at Western allowed us the time to do that. So that summer class with Dr. Weiler was devoted to that. It was devoted to the IRB process Mm -hmm. and the proposal process and and the writing, getting those pieces ready for implementation. Um, We spent that whole time doing that under her supervision. All right. And I don't, this, this, this could sound dismissive and it's not meant to, but it sounds like year two was the most, as it were, conventional year, just in the sense that like year one, you're doing improvement science and social justice. And you're learning these, these things that are, they're not new, new, but they're not what everybody's doing. And then Year three, you're doing action research um, based on with PDSA cycles and everything, which is definitely different from what most folks are doing. And year two, you're kind of preparing a proposal and doing your research, which is seems to me like the thing the what the the thing that like pretty much everybody does if they're doing doctoral research. Yeah, because like in year three, there's no there's no coursework normally, and um, so they're out there building structures. That's to me, that's what people who have doctors of education do they build structures so they actually had to design the whole program and then implement it and then collect data on how it went and then make suggestions for improvement so they have to do the whole nine yards they just don't go out and do a survey like some people would do research they actually had to create 
you know, all of the professional development, everything. So it took, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. So tell me about that design. What'd you make? Well, they, they use it for us, for practical research, we use a bunch of different types of measurement. So of course they wanted to look at capacity. So they were using a normal survey for pre and post type of outcomes. But then like when they do the professional development sessions, there will be some kind of process measure, you know, or a driver measure where they would collect data, look at the analysis and then try to figure out next steps. So there's a lot of data collection along this whole process because there's multiple PDSA cycles. It drives our IRB people nuts because it's like, what do you mean you're collecting three different surveys? And it's like, yes, that's what we're doing. So we've even had to train them um, on how to work with us. So, Yeah, we had three different initiatives based on the literature and our pre-surveys. So we worked on professional development sessions for assistant principals. We had an orientation session to kind of get them into the project and the role, um, talk about some introductory items and get them familiar with the district. And we also had the shadowing piece. So for each of those, we had to have the balance process and driver measures. And we were very careful to have data for each of those for each of the initiatives. Um, of course, for each of the initiatives, we also had outcome measures based on the goals we had set. Um, you know, we did do a pre and post, same moment, and t um, same information, different moments in time. And we use the North Carolina rubric for assessing um, leadership, the leadership standards to do that. Um, so we tried to layer the data, both, you know, those process measures, but also the outcome measures and have qualitative and quantitative data for all of them. Um, so we did design a fairly complicated structure because we wanted to be able to move this research forward and to share it and have it be replicated. We wanted to prove that what we were doing was solid, even though it was across four different districts. So if I understand correctly, there were the three interventions, if that's the right word, that you tried, that you tested, were uh, like discrete professional development sessions. Like you come to a room and you do professional development um, specifically aimed at assistant principals and then shadowing a shadowing program where assistant principals shadow somebody else um, through their job. And then was the orientation the third one? Yes, and that was more um, being familiar with the district policies and procedures. We really honed in on skill development versus career development and the need of both. We can't just give them the facts and skills. We also have to teach them how to be savvy and to work forward to analyze what area they might want to focus in, um, what schools are appropriate for them. So it was definitely on both sides. So that's why we really separated out the orientation from the professional development. Right. And who are they shadowing? They were shadowing principals. Um, they also shadowed first some other assistant principals just to get familiar with different levels, the different elementary, middle, high levels, because if you've always been an assistant principal in a high school and you get a principalship in an elementary school, there are so many differences. And, mm -hmm. and that's, we have more high school APs than any other category, but more elementary jobs. Um, so we started with assistant principals working with other assistant principals, and then we moved into shadowing principals. And we're, we're just finishing up the first round of our shadowing here in Burke County. And, and that's, it's very intentional for us to place our assistant principals that have had zero experience anywhere except high school. We've intentionally put them in the elementary setting to shadow an elementary principal so that they can see what, what it's like a day to day car rider, um, end of school, lunch, opening milk cartons, things that you don't even think about for high school assistant principal. So it, it's been a really great experience for our folks. And so were you doing PDSA cycles, plan, do, study, act cycles on all three of those? Yeah. In, in the design phase, we were. Got it. And, and the design phase was year three? Year and a year two. Got it. And so, so I normally think of like implementation as happening within a PDSA cycle that like you try something, you know, you do it for a little bit, 
you uh, study your data, you plan again. But it sounds like there was like a kind of a design testing phase, and then there was a more long-term implementation phase within the project. Is that right? That's correct. We use design teams because to do something like this, you have to have that representation and buy-in from the district and the people that you're going to be working with. So we all created design teams of important players within our district. I had our assistant superintendent um, of curriculum. We had different principals and assistant principals on the committee that helped us walk through those PDSA cycles in order to make our design well-rounded and multi-perspected. How did you convince them all to do that? <laughs> we harassed them. That, that was a challenge. And yeah, that was, that was a challenge too. We, you know, I think I was able to get more buy-in, I think, because I was at a different, I was at the district level. So I had easier access to, and Katie was too at the time, I believe, right, Katie? Mm -hmm. I was. Yeah. So we had easier reach, so to speak. So that's why we feel it's, it has to be, it can't, it has to be that district initiative from top down. It can't be mm -hmm. one school to try to support this because as you start reaching out, that's, it's, that momentum is going to decrease uh, unless you have that top down approach. Yeah. I was wondering, cause I can see like with the finished where you're at now, I can see it being a pretty easy sell, not easy sell, but to sort of say to a district like, Hey, are you doing anything to prep your uh, assistant principals? And they're like, no, not really. And you're like, great. I got some ideas for you. That like makes yeah. a lot of sense to me, but being like, Hey, so you want to help me with my dodgeball research by being on a design team? <laughs> yeah. to, like that just seems like a big lift. And that's the life that I lived as an assistant principal. So I had to go to my district leaders and say, Hey, as an assistant principal, can I help you? Um, grow the capacity of assistant principals. And that was a really unique perspective because my district leader kind of looked at me and said, do you think assistant principals are going to listen to another assistant principal? Well, maybe, maybe they will. Maybe if I have some help and some backing and some other district help, they may. Um, maybe if I'm just a logistical um, paper pusher, maybe I can do that. So that was that I lived a different role than um, like Katie and Mike who had district positions. However, because I developed a design team, I was able to convince, maybe that's the right word, a district um, who at the time was our, our, our director of secondary education. She was very instrumental. Um, I pulled another assistant principal and then some help um, on board to work with the logistics. But the details of the, of the assistant principal program that we implemented was essentially left up to me, um, basically because they didn't want to mess with it and they were okay with me doing it. I guess I attribute that to uh, 16 years in the district and knowing most everyone um, and having that rapport built already. Um, and, and they were helpful in letting me do that. But um, they acknowledge that, hey, an assistant principal coming on board to try to build capacity of assistant principals is a little bit weird. I'm not sure if weird's the right word, but um, it was acknowledged that, hey, you're an assistant principal too. So um, that was an interesting uh, take. What I'm kind of struggling with understanding here is like in the examples that I know where a district kind of gets design teams and does PDSA cycles within something, either, either there's a funder putting up a bunch of money and they've all like joined the program or they are paying somebody to help them out. Like there's like that kind of thing. And I'm just like, I'm really having trouble with being like, so I'm doing this doctorate and I could really use your help. Like, it's just, it seems like such an unusual, it seems like a really unusual way to like, like position to need to like convince people to do what, like, is it pretty, I mean, I imagine it was like a, a pretty decent time commitment 
I would say that's a fair, I would say that's a fair take on it. And, and I would go so far as to tell you that in my district, I'm in a, a small rural district. I was the first um, to go to one of our district leaders and say, Hey, I'm in a doctoral program and I need some help with this doctoral program. And that district leader looked at me and said, I'm not sure we've ever done that before. So what do you need? So yeah, being in a, in a rural, small, very small district where there are not a lot of doctoral candidates uh, working on that degree. Um, There's not a lot of experience in supporting um, those folks. And I was one of the first in my district to do that. So it was an interesting, hey, how can we help? Um, And they were really great to do so. I mean, I guess they didn't have to, certainly didn't have to. uh, But um, I had relationships with them already because I've been in the district uh, for a considerable amount of time. And they were great to work with me. And it was more difficult. I was jealous of people almost that were working on a more traditional program because they could go outside of the county and just pull data. They didn't have to have all of those um, savvy conversations to get people on board. But again, that was part of our learning. Well, by savvy, you mean begging. Eh. (laughs) Ask the right people at the right time. You got to be savvy about it. True, true. And, and Alec, our district, and I know a lot of other districts like us, they try to push our administrators to get that post-secondary education. And this was a big step for me. I I always thought getting my master's in school admin was it. And then as I started exploring, you know, we talked early on about YWCU. But I think by drawing that in, that was able to all of our other district leaders see the need so they want to participate, be part of this. And now we've got several folks that are going through a doctoral program as well, based on the work that we've done. So yeah, I think it's that, as I m- mentioned earlier, is that, that keeping the momentum going. Yeah. And one program element that um, is kind of built in is that normally on dissertation committees, we have somebody in the inside the district come and serve on the committee that we have to get them graduate faculty status and everything. It's a big pain in the butt, but they serve on the committee and they can kind of pave the way a little bit. It didn't really happen with this group because there's four of them and it was kind of hard, but normally when we have like one or two, it's normally someone's supervisor that serves on the committee and then can make sure that the work can roll out. But really when you work with improvement science, it's so collaborative that you start doing fishbone diagrams with people and they get right into it. I mean, it's, it's wild to see how people react to it. And so I'm curious, like what were your big, what were the big things you learned from that design team phase? I think on my end, it was some of the ideas that I had weren't what I guess that design team wanted to see roll out. Hmm. So I had to kind of take a couple steps back and, because my superintendent helped me, my assistant superintendent, and some of the feedback that they gave me was, all right, have you thought about this, posing those questions to me, and then backing up and redesigning it and going a step forward. So that, that that's kind of one of my takeaways. I mean, on some level, you must have been like, yeah, I've been thinking about it for two years. I've spent a lot more time on this than you have, so. <laughs> I know, but at the at the end of the game they are they are the ones that had that district vision and they're they're there to support me so that's kind of how i approach the pervy yeah well and also i think it's important you know for my design team experience you know i had ideas of including a lot of um, equity measures and you know cultural competence measures and my design team essentially said, well, we're, we're doing that, which, you know, they weren't. So, you know, and I had to just nod my head and say, oh, okay, great. Well, let's, what are your ideas? But it, at a certain point, you have to let go of your A goals and just try to achieve the B goals. And, um, you know, in the name of progress. What did you have to sacrifice I think we planned shadowing experiences that were slightly higher than what we got out. 
and it wasn't just in the planning stage, but in implementation that the nature of being an assistant principal is that you're busy and making that happen. Um, we did fairly well in, in my district, but I had initially wanted them to have more time. It's very hard to go in for four hours or eight hours and really get the whole scope of the job. So if we could have provided more time for them to do it, uh, but principals, you know, were slightly alarmed that them being out of the building for that long would be a drain on them. And that's completely understandable. Um, ideally, we would have people sub in and help with that. So I think the shadowing got a little lighter uh, in my district. And I don't know if anyone had to leave any part of theirs entirely out. We tried to stick to it. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's, that's, you know, what we focused heavily on, too. We tried to make it work for them to make sure that the principal's still going to be in the building when that assistant principal's gone so that it's that ex successful experience. Um, and they're not panicked to get back to their duties that they're supposed to be doing that they're getting paid for, so to speak. So, so that design team at that point went through PDSA cycles, refined this three-part program of professional development, orientation, and shadowing. And then you did a, a pre-measure survey, right? And then you implemented it, like at scale, it seems like, for that third year and did that post-survey and then crunched all those numbers with uh, Katie's uh, data abilities and I'm sure other people's as well. Is there a big step of that that we've left out? Some of, we did some pre-initiative data to help plan that. So that was presented to our design teams. So we'd already done some interviews of principals and district leaders and assistant principals and also some pre-initiative surveys about um, perceived abilities and what principals thought that they could have used in order to have a better experience onboarding into the principalship. That was presented to design teams to help plan the details. So the design teams didn't just work based on what we thought might work. It was based in the data from that pre-initiative work. And at the end of that third year, after once you started going through the data, uh, what surprised you? I think one of our biggest surprises was in the area of um, equity competence. Mm -hmm. We, in our pre and post survey, um, we, in comparing those two um, pieces of data, we found that the assistant principals felt um, much more competent in their abilities to be equitable and to ultimately have equity competence within their capacities day to day. And it was one of our strongest findings, which was not expected. I think in many of our districts, we did not plan strategically to have a focus on equity in, within our professional development sessions. And so that's what came out as a surprise for many of us, including my district. What do you attribute that to? I think it's giving them the tools and the ways to work with it because we gave them some practices and, you know, skills and career where they felt more confident to tackle the problems. A lot of the pre stuff said they just didn't know what, what they didn't know. So we tried to give them that so they could step into those problems of practice with more competence and less fear about tackling them head on. It goes back to that revolutionary piece. If you have people that know what they're doing, they can do better work. I mean, it sounds simple, but in, in public education, that's much more complicated. Right. And we, we talked about how just having the support you know, and feeling acknowledged and valued and that the district was, was putting forth an effort, you know, it, in the end, it was, it was us putting, you know, initiating the effort, but the, you know, the fact that assistant principals were getting the attention they deserved, I think had um, a valuable impact on their feelings and their, their feelings of competence and ultimately their, their competence within equity. It was also the relationship piece because the qualitative data really pointed to the fact that when you work within a school, that's your bubble. 
So when we got the assistant principals to the district offices for training professional development, you know, the orientation sessions focused on familiarizing them with district leaders. When they got to work with different APs in different schools and levels, they really stated to us that they could see themselves leading in many different areas. And before it was very hard for them to picture themselves outside of that current role. Um, they got to know people and make those connections, which also broadens your skill set. Because if you want to talk something out, now they had people to do that with. And it, it helped build that network too, Alec, as far as those assistant principals. I know our folks, and I'm sure others have, like Katie said, they, they, they stay in contact with one another. We, we expect our principals to reach out to one another and build those networks to add ask questions. So the assistant principals have begun doing that as well, based on the training that we're giving them. They feel more confident in to get to be able to come out of the schools, network with folks, spend a half a day or a day together um, in those PDs and get to know one another because there's a good chance that they may end up at that school that that same person was at. So I, I think all of that kind of comes together for that. It was surprising to me that we had so much differences amongst gender, age. Um, you know, we were very effective at getting some significant values with our younger administrators, where some of the older administrators, that was more difficult. And then men and women had some differences amongst them, too, about what they were comfortable in. And that was some interesting reading in the qualitative data as well. well and what were the gender differences? Just looking at where if one gender is more comfortable doing the evaluation piece um, and maybe men were more comfortable doing a school mission and that big leading change piece, um, women were definitely had more significance in school improvement and distributive leadership, um, they def in efficacy and empowerment. Women and men were vastly different, especially in conflict management and resolution. That was the most significant difference between them um, on their numbers when we worked that out in the end. And what was that difference? Um, it was 0 0.001 and a 0 0.36 on the, the p-values. Which and which, though? Um, women were the significant value. All right. And what is the feeling more confident to tackle the human resource issues and dealing with um, writing teachers up just to put it bluntly and, and knowing what to do in those situations. Got it. So that was the, that was the, the jump on. So, mm -hmm. so, so women kind of jumped more on that than, than men did. They jumped yeah. a lot more on that. Got it. All right. I know that I've gone way over the time that I said this was going to be, thank you all for, for hanging out. Um, I've got one final question which is just, and you uh, will, you can just speak as you see fit, but I, I'd love to hear from everybody. Based on all this three years of work to a district leader who's listening to this podcast episode, one piece of advice for them based on what you've learned. I'm, I'll jump in from the 30,000 30, feet. All right. So my big thing is that we can't expect to send a Katie out or an Andrea or a Jared out into these districts to change culture by themselves. And so I know Carnegie's gotten some different projects like I lead and others that are working with districts. So they, they get prepared. So when an Andrea or a Katie or a Mike or Jared come in and do this work, they know what's going on. But I think it's very it's a bad way to think that these people could be martyred by sending them out by themselves to conquer the world. For me, the takeaway for district leaders would be to focus in on the succession planning. We put together a framework uh, that really focuses in on succession planning, how to be very thoughtful and proactive in developing leaders, also while having that social justice lens. If we're waiting just to have the vacancy and throw somebody in there, whoever that committee might pick, we're missing the chance to be proactive about the right person with the right skill set for that position. I mean, it needs to happen way ahead of time. And that happens often in private industry, but not nearly as much in public K-12 education. 
Um, so focus on that can spades because you can have a great leader in the wrong fit of a school and it could be disastrous and that hurts students. And what is succession planning? The thoughtful looking in at what, what vacancies do we anticipate and what people within that pipeline do we have that would be a good cultural fit? And then also what skills will we need to help them develop before that is happening, before they're going to be put into that position? So thinking out, having that board with your people on it and thinking about where they might be going in a year, three years, five years. Assistant principal leadership program is what our kind of how we've approached that. We want to start, you know, the succession planning eventually our principals are going to retire. They might take other district level leadership positions. So we want to have them prepped in order to take that next step and feel confident of us putting them into that role based on the training that we've given them. But I think that training that districts need to take is, it should be intentional and with purpose um, and not just, because of which director in the county office is available to talk with assistant principals. I think assistant principals need to be involved in the process so that the professional development that they spend their time in is relevant to the work that they do. That was one piece that we found in our, um, in our work that assistant principals were eager to give feedback and grateful for the opportunity. Um, one of the things assistant principal said to us is thank you for the opportunity to network, but thank you for the opportunity to tell you what we need and for making these mm -hmm. uh, topics of professional development relevant to our needs specifically, because the needs in Stanley County were different than those in Burke County and those in Asheville City and those in Caldwell County as well. Um, so while professional development is, it should not be an option, it should be um, a requirement, but it should be tailored to those, like Katie was saying, the succession, because you know which positions may or may not be coming available and which people are going to be a good fit, not because they um, they can move into that position, but because they're best suited for that position, because that bench, our, our title of the whole thing is building the bench, because we intentionally built the bench so that our um, assistant principals are ready and capable to move into those positions that are coming available. And I think just to add on, uh, my big takeaway is, you know, at the district level to create change, you have to have allies and, um, and be political to create those alliances to people who can make decisions and that will hear your ideas and, and ultimately create change in a meaningful way. So without those alliances and those uh, those individuals on your side, it's it's a it could be a futile effort to create any change, much less uh, positive and impactful change within the district. Great, thank you all so much. Uh, is there anything else anyone wants to say before we wrap it up? Alec, we just want to thank you for taking the time yes. and, and getting this out there. Oh, to yeah. Thank you, Alec. World. Um, this was good for us because, you know, COVID hit right as we were finishing. So we had plans to yep, publish and do a lot of things that kind of just got stuck. So this was great. We're, we were so excited to have you reach out to us. Oh, it's great. I'm so pleased. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. All right. Thank you folks so much. I'm going to stop. High Tech High Unboxed is hosted and edited by me, Alec Patton. Our theme music is by Brother Herschel. The Education Leadership Program at Western Carolina University, where Andrea, Jared, Katie, and Mike did their doctoral research, was awarded Program of the Year by the Carnegie Project on the Education Doctorate. There's a link to the program's website, as well as a video about the program in our show notes. 
Thanks for listening. The sunset floating by in dreams.